Hi, hello, my name is Maris and welcome to my show, Critical Root Zone, where we dig deep with inquiring minds to get to the root of sustainability, going below the surface to rebuild trust while supporting all voices on our journey to a climate positive planet. And so my guest for this next series on energy is one of my favorite people to be around, Professor Dodd Galbraith. So Dodd has founded the Institute for Sustainable Practice and is the director of the graduate programs at Lipscomb University. And we're gonna get to know a lot more about him and what he's done in maybe more than this, 37 years of sustainability. He'll let me know if this is a, if this is a correct uh, number of years because I feel like your whole life his whole life has been dedicated to sustainability. And um, I'm just super excited to talk to him because we've been friends for a while. And um, it's it's fascinating, all of the conversations I've already had with him. And I'm pumped to do it on air. Welcome back to CRZ, and we're talking with Professor Dodd Galbraith about all things energy. Um, in the first episode, you get the full scope of my guest, who is one of my biggest heroes. He's an incredible human being. And in this episode, we're going to get down and dirty into fossil fuels. So uh, welcome back, Thank Dodd. You. Thank you. Which we're cracking up because I called you Todd by accident. <laughs> But then also I was telling some people about you and they're like, wait, did you say God? Are you talking to God? Lord, yeah. My, wa- my wife would love to know that that was my ego. <laughs> She's trying to tame down the other parts. But, it, but it fit right in because we were talking about faith and we were talking about energy and we were talking about just all how it relates. And, and that was just really funny. So yeah. God, God is here. Yeah, yeah. God is here. Yeah, God, God is here. Keep, <laughs> keeping you and I both straight <laughs> and keep giving us the smarts oh, that we man. have to have this discussion. Truly. Um, but there's so many talents of yours that we're gonna that we're gonna tap into your expertise on energy. Okay. I, I feel like it's just such a big portion of sustainability and carbon emissions. Yeah. And um, really, I, I've been I've been on my own journey. That um, being vulnerable enough to say that I didn't really know what a fossil fuel was not too long ago, and hearing about oil and drilling, and I think. I myself, my personal experience was to shut most of it out and to say, I don't know what it is. And so I'm just, I'm just going to listen a lot, but I I didn't, I didn't have the confidence to ask the questions. And so this podcast gives me that platform and I'm just really grateful for it. I'm grateful for Aaron and Stort here at Elm Hill Studios here in Nashville, Tennessee, um, because they have this beautiful studio where I get to have my guests and it's so professional and so well done. Um, the quality is amazing. And like, this is this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I decided I'm going to tap into these resources that I've that I've created here in, in Nashville. We, we talked in the first episode uh, about you and your life and, and, and how you are, how you've become what you are today. And we relate a lot on just asking questions and bugging people and, and getting in there. And that's how I was blessed with you. That's how I got to meet you. Actually, fun, fun fact, Zero Waste Trash Talk was the first group that I had, which turned into a podcast on accident. And we created content. And I, uh, I'd actually applied for the Lipscomb 
program and everything in its right place. But you and I got on the phone and he said, oh, yeah, you're the zero waste trash talk girl. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, blown away. Like, okay, I'm doing some good things because he 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 knows about my work. And um, that was just really cool. That was really cool. But so, okay, fossil fuels. Let's dig. Let's yes. dig in. Let's, let's dig. And that's what you have to let's do drill. to find it, by the way. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. You have great segues, by the way. Oh, thank you. But yeah, um, I, 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 you said when we were off camera that you wanted people to kind of understand the fundamentals of, of that definition. Right, and, of fossil fuel, which yeah. it's like dead animals or dead organisms, plants, yeah. plants uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and over what, billions of years. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's um, you know, the, the easiest way to kind of describe it is, um, you know, all oil came from life in the sea and all coal came from life on the land. And, and life on the land that makes coal is mostly trees and vegetation, you know, like tropical type forests. So, and, w- and when you think about uh, the word fossil, that means, you know, the remains of something dead that's been fossilized that feels like a rock. Uh, oil is not quite like a rock. It's a liquid. Sometimes it's a very thick liquid. But um, uh, oil and coal both um, have been very uh, compressed in the earth because over time, uh, as the earth has evolved and as continents have moved around and as continents have, as tectonic plates have moved around, carrying continents with them, uh, occasionally they bump into each other, and and as they bump into each other, they create mountains because there's a it's a very slow collision, but it's a continuous collision until the collision stops. It actually occurs at about the growth of a fingernail at the pace of the growth of a fingernail. Huh. So imagine two tectonic plates carrying continents bumping into each other, and continuing to grind into each other at the pace of the growth of a fingernail. And that gives it a lot of time to push things up. You know, if, if you bump two cars into each other, you know, uh, at a, and they're not uh, terribly pliable, there's a lot of mass there and they're not going very fast, you're gonna get little damage. But if there's a lot of mass there and there's a lot of energy pushing them together, you're gonna get a, a great big crumbled mess, right? That's gonna kind of go up. That's where mountains form. As those mountains uh, are exposed to, to rain and to snow and the atmosphere and freezing and thawing, they begin to erode away. And all of those plants that were uh, living on that land adjacent to that erosion get buried by that erosion. Mm-hmm. And then uh, multiple successive mountain building processes, multiple series of erosion, sometimes glaciation, you know, sometimes earthquakes and other things, shift things around. You get layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. So you get all this weight pushing down on that trapped vegetation. And that's what becomes coal. And, you know, one of the evidences of that is easily seen in the Grand Canyon. You know, when you look at the Grand Canyon, you see layer upon layer upon layer of rock. All of those were successive deposits of organic and inorganic material uh, that turn into rock eventually. Mm -hmm. And so coal gets trapped in those seams, um, or actually uh, vegetation gets trapped in those seams. It gets compressed. And because most uh, vegetation and most other life forms are largely made out of carbon, the carbon that wasn't very dense in those original life forms is now compressed into very dense blocks of carbon uh, that when you burn them, they're going to release that very dense carbon into this loose light uh, gas called CO2, carbon connected to an oxygen molecule floating up into the air. Uh, the same is true of oil. Oil gets um, 
uh, created by uh, the remains of dying and decaying life forms in the ocean. And uh, uh, as sediments washed into this ocean and as those tectonic plates carrying continents bump into each other and create deeper and deeper layers of sediments deep in the ocean, they put more weight on those formal living organisms, these marine organisms that have died and left their remains in the sediments, and that gets compressed into a, a fossil fuel or a fossil form known as oil. And again, when you burn that oil, just like when you go to burn that rock of coal, that very highly super compressed carbon uh, gets released in the atmosphere as it's burned. It connects with a, uh, an oxygen molecule called CO2 again, and that goes into the atmosphere. So the, um, the reason why CO2 is bad is because the atmosphere right now has less than one half of 1% of CO2 in it, in its current mix of gases. So it doesn't take much CO2 uh, to create a, uh, a blanket of heat trapping um, uh, dynamics that keep the sun's energy when it comes into the planet. Most of it's supposed to go back out of the atmosphere and go back into the coldness of space where it can be absorbed. And, uh, and that CO2 layer uh, that was very thin and almost non-existent is slowly being built up as those fossil fuels get burned and as it makes that CO2 layer thicker and thicker and thicker. And it becomes like an insulating blanket, just like right. you put around yourself, to hold your heat in as well. Yeah. And we're, when we started doing this, mm -hmm. these, these things that you're saying, I remember learning about all of this when I was in grade school. And I'll be 35 this weekend. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And it's just, it seems that this science has been here for so long. And the fossil fuel industry is, in, in my opinion, getting just bigger and more powerful. And much of the politics involved in it are supporting this cycle that has been scientifically proven that will be the end of us. Yeah. And these resources, not only are they carbon and we're creating these trapping gases and we're heating the earth, they are also resources that are not, they're not, fin they're not finite resources. That's right. So they will deplete and be gone mm -hmm. eventually. Mm -hmm. And, oh man, like hearing about the war in Ukraine and how Russia is like, we're all playing with this oil the, the economy and, and how it can crash because they're going to withhold oil mm -hmm. and we're trying to stop them and all the bad things that they're doing by not buying their oil. And it's like, it seems like these fossil fuels are really just not the answer. And we've known that. Yeah. So how does that, how does, it makes me feel really awful. <laughs> like, well, it, and, and, it, and it should, you know, that awful and pain, you know, and difficulty, you know, is the incentive for change, right? I mean, when, when we feel pain in our ankle, we know, oh, I need to quit running on that ankle for a while or stop walking right. so fast and make sure it's not getting worse before I walk on it again. So it's a signal in the system that something needs to change. Right. So there are intellectual signals, like you just said, you intellectually derived that there's a finite amount of coal and oil on the planet. That's exactly true because we're not 
growing tropical forest anymore. We're not. We're we taking don't, most of them down, actually. Yeah. We're, we're actually taking a lot of the, the trees down. So. Yeah, it, we, it, we, it, and, and these are not, these are trees, today's trees are not as dense and as thick as the ones that used to grow when there was virtually no ice on the planet. You know, we had a much warmer planet in those days. In, in one of the eras of time, we had most of the continents south of the equator. Those tectonic plates that I was talking about earlier, they move below and above uh, the equator uh, over a long periods of time, millions and millions of years. Uh, and so when, when the continents are south of the equator, they grow more vegetation because there's, there's a warmer climate down there than there is in the northern hemisphere, or at least the upper northern hemisphere. And so you get more productivity, you get more carbon-rich material. But then when you think about um, if, if we're going to try to replicate coal and oil, you know, are we going to have to wait billions of years for mountains to collide, for continents to collide again, and for mountains to be built into a road and to bury all that stuff all over again? We're not making coal and oil anymore, the, the way I described earlier. This, that, that was an ancient uh, planet, basically dynamic equilibrium process. The planet was going through this very early immature stage trying to reach a stable phase. And so the, a lot of that continental shifting and a lot of those swings in weather, that kind of pendulum swing in climate that was occurring, was wildly dynamic because the planet was trying to reach a stable state mm -hmm. from having been basically, for having started as a molten rock. You know, that's where it started. So when you start at an extreme, you'll end up going to another extreme before it swings back to the middle. And so if, if that's the reality uh, intellectually that we're aware of, uh, we know we can't, um, you know, just keep burning it like it's going to be here forever. It's, it's, uh, it's like a huge trust fund that, that some very rich parent or friend has given us that has a big balance, but eventually it will run out. And the reason it hasn't run out faster is because it has a big balance. And I guess the second part of your point, too, is kind of the, um, you know, the, the scientific argument that uh, if sunlight uh, is coming into the planet in one hour at the, um, in, the, in the level of energy that could run the entire world's energy needs for a year, uh, it's got to escape back out into the atmosphere. I mean, that's how much solar energy we get in one hour and one day, enough to run the entire planet for a year. So, so that tells you right there, there's a lot of excess heat and a lot of excess energy that has to go back out into space. And so if we allow CO2 to keep trapping that heat, it's just going to get warmer under that blanket, warmer and warmer and warmer. So it begins to become an existential threat. You're right. Planets that don't have life don't have water. And most of them don't have water because they have too much heat or they're, or they're too cold mm -hmm. uh, or, they, or they fluctuate from being too cold or too hot. Right. And so we have the, the perfect kind of situation for life to exist in this universe at least that we that we know of and uh it's it's up to us not to mess it up and how do you think what is your personal opinion on that transition i think uh there's different types of fossil fuels mm -hmm. we have the coal and the oil i mean when i when we say gas mm -hmm. or natural gas mm -hmm. or um nuclear Right, because nuclear is one of those and that's kind of in the middle. And we're going to talk more about clean energy and renewable and sustain mm -hmm. sustainable energy in the next episode. Mm -hmm. But kind of concentrating on the different forms of it, mm -hmm. like is there like a lesser of the evils or, you know, that transition from fossil fuels to clean energy? 
I have heard that most people don't believe in that transition. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to happen anyway, mm -hmm. right? Like we're all going down anyway. Mm -hmm. And there's no way with how far we've come and, and we've dug ourselves into this hole, yeah. um, figuratively, you know, pun intended. Yeah. How are we going to dig ourselves out? Yeah, I, I, well, uh, I, th I think the you made a good point about why, about the, the way that people process this fear. You know, that a, a lot of what's driving this debate is fear. People know intellectually that oil and coal, and you, you brought up natural gas as well, as another type of fossil fuel. That's the gaseous form of, of those uh, mm -hmm. fossil fuels. Um, they can't last forever. They're, they're only, they have a finite amount. And then you brought up, you know, the, um, you know, the scientific reality that, you know, energy has to balance, you know, the atmosphere has to settle out to a stable uh, state or it will turn into this wild pendulum swing again. And I think uh, uh, when people stop being afraid, they, they kind of focus on one reality. And one of the realities they focus on is that uh, climate change has happened before. Well, yeah, it's, it's happened before. We've had ice ages and we've had tropical ages. But uh, a stable planet doesn't swing back and forth between those types of extremes as fast as what we're seeing today. You know, we're seeing... Uh, ice storms and snowstorms that are larger than normal. We're seeing hurricanes that are larger than normal. We're seeing droughts that are larger than normal. Those are the precursors of that pendulum kind of swinging back and forth at a, at a rapid sort of narrow swing that will eventually move to a wilder swing. Mm -hmm. And it will move to a, a really a hot, unbearable, unlivable swing, or it'll move to a really cold, you know, unlivable, unbearable swing on the other uh, equation. And that's, that's what happens as planets are trying to reach that, that, that state that we call a steady state, or at least a dynamic equilibrium, where the pendulum is still swinging between mild extremes, but it's not swinging to wild extremes. Mm -hmm. So um, the hope that exists is that, um, you know, when you look back at human history, we've overcome so many things. Uh, you know, in, in this country, we created uh, a democracy from scratch. We beat the largest military in the world, the most powerful military in the world at the time. We've overcome a civil war. We've overcome two world wars. We've overcome a lot of uh, recent craziness in Washington, D.C., with people trying to take over the Capitol building and try to turn the election around. You know, we, we survived all of these things. And so the only difference between a human history that fails, and there's lots of books about uh, civilizations that have failed and civilizations that have survived, the common denominator is effort. You know, people talking, people working it through, and hopefully not living in an environment where once the scale gets tipped, it's unrecoverable. You know, the, the folks who lived in Chaco Canyon, for example, in New Mexico, and the folks who lived on certain uh, Pacific Islands or, or certain, uh, uh, um, you know, communities in, in the northern hemisphere that had a lot of colder climates, if, if they pushed that pendulum too far in the way they lived, their society collapsed, and if they damaged the environment, the environment couldn't uh, spring back very fast because it just didn't have the, the elasticity to shift when the failures happened. 
in a temperate climate like where we live in Nashville, where we have mild seasons and, and cool seasons and warm seasons and wet seasons, you know, we have a lot more elasticity so that when we make a mistake, if we cut too many trees, they'll grow back pretty fast. But you can't do that in the desert southwest. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot longer of time to recover. Right. So because of that, because of where we live, because of human history, and because of examples of, of civilizations that have failed and, and survived, I think we have all we need to survive and to beat this. Yeah, I love that. The hope, the yeah, faith, yeah. the energy in within ourselves um, is kind of hokey pokey as that sounds. I I really truly have to tell myself that daily. Yeah. You know, it's everything, if, if I do the next best thing in yeah. my power. That's exactly right. Then I have I have hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard to have hope in other beings sometimes mm-hmm. with the actions that they do mm-hmm. or don't t- or don't take. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm hearing the news and and politicians and the way that they speak about science makes me cringe, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of what I hear sometimes is just like, is that is that science mm-hmm. or is that tribalism? Mm-hmm. Is that is that them just trying to speak to a group of people and guide them into electing them again or, or passing a certain bill that um, reflects benefits for these fossil fuel companies? Because mm-hmm. in this capitalistic society, we are, we are kind of forced mm-hmm. to feed into that cycle. And mm-hmm. those who are in the extreme that want to stop it, I have friends that I have a great, I have a great a visionary, Nelson Gillian, that uh, actually Emily Stutzman, she, he's oh, yeah. on um, a, a sustain, network for sustainable solutions yeah. with her. Excellent. And he is um, just t- preaching his project about using 3D printers to create mm-hmm. these sustainable communities mm-hmm. that he wants to show people how to live in this way that doesn't feed off of the capitalistic system. Mm-hmm. What an extreme. But when when you think about it, we're going back to the basics again. It's like, how do we hunter-gather, you know? like mm-hmm. How do we give back and regenerative farming and all these things that, that feed back mm-hmm. into the system? And it's how do we kind of go backwards um, before we go too far forwards? And some yeah. people believe we're already too too far forwards. But with what you said... I definitely have hope. If you have hope, Dodd, I definitely well, have hope. Uh, you and I are leaders, and leaders in history always choose hope if they're a good leader. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, on that note, I like that. Um, fossil fuels, oil from the sea, coal from the land, mm-hmm. um, you know, over billions of years, we're learning that we have been able to see the results of what has happened. So this you know, what What science is saying is this is what's going to happen and we're seeing it firsthand and all these natural disasters that are taking chunks out of what our society, our community. Um, and it's scary. Uh, but there are things, there are technologies, there are there is clean energy. There are ways that we can transition. And so that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode, all sorts of clean energy and... Um, the bright side of things and um, I'm stoked about it so stay tuned for the next one Um, and as always I'd love to hear from anybody that uh, has ideas 
for the next podcast. They want to hear about something different. Um, they have, or you have a guest that you want me to interview. Please send me an email. If you also want to check the studio out, I would love to have some of my audience be here in the studio while we tape. So send me an email if you're interested in checking it out. It's criticalrootzone at gmail.com. And until the next episode of CRZ, we can only love the planet if we love each other. And in order to love each other, we have to first love ourselves. So be inspired to think for yourself, right? Inspire others to do better, ask questions, and just remember that we can do anything when we stand together, united. listening to Critical Root Zone. If you'd like to reach out, email us at criticalrootzone at gmail.com. Critical Root Zone is produced in Nashville, Tennessee, copyright 2022.